0: Welcome to the Kintsugi Heroes podcast where we share inspirational stories of everyday people going through different challenges and how they overcome them. Please be aware that the story you're about to hear may have moments of deeply felt emotions and personal experiences. If anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help keep you safe. If you love this conversation. We'd love you to like and share it with your friends so we can continue to share more inspiration and hope to as many people as possible. Now, listen up for our next hero story. This conversation is with Kyle Spiridis. What a fighter. What what an energy. What a guy. He has this amazing story of how he develops this serious heart infection as a young man. And at the age of 20, ended up having to go into hospital and having open heart surgery. You know, he was a seemingly fit, healthy, outgoing, energetic young man, 20 year old. And it just changed his whole life in more than the the physical way. It changed his whole life because it gave him purpose and and it taught him so much about who to trust and family. And support and then the impact that he can have on other people you know he talks about the journey of his life even leading up to that incident and also how through the support of the people around him he was able to make choices that saved his life and helped him to heal wow what a what a story this this young man is incredible he's passionate and he's got a photography business and another mission to help empower lots of people. He's doing a lot of great things. He's a bundle of energy, really positive guy. I loved it. This is Kyle Spiridis. Hello, here we are. It is another episode of Consulgi Heroes and my guest today is Kyle Spiridis. How are you doing, Kyle?
1: I'm doing great, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: You're welcome, thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. It's always lovely to have another guest and I always like to just honour you before you begin your story. I know it's sometimes not easy to tell your story and you're know you going into your past and I just want to honour you for being brave and vulnerable and showing up to share your story that might help others. It's a really courageous thing to do. It's really giving and I want to thank you. Let's get started, shall we? Um, I'm going to hand the mic over to you. Figuratively speaking. And it's, uh, yeah, tell us where does your story begin? Take us back and tell us your story.
1: Yes. So, firstly, you know, like I said, thank you for having me on. And I, I love what Ian and yourself and w- what your whole movement is. Uh, I felt really aligned to it. And um, that's where, 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 where we were connected. So, for me, um, I guess my story, you know, easy to start chronologically from the start, but probably the development. Of who I am came at the age of 18 and not necessarily how you would see most people's story you know when they go okay I'm 18 now I'm, I'm a man or I'm going out to the world going to make make something of myself uh it was more of a um two months after school I was found myself in an induced coma uh nearly died um and family were told that I wasn't going to make it through the night so very unexpected as a teenager, I had my life planned. I was going to play international rugby. I was going to play rugby for the South rugby team. You know, I, I kind of I had mapped out where I wanted to go. I had dealt with all the really, I guess, wasted time of traumatic um, experiences and you know, like relationships that, that that were damaging to me um, in 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 family um, for too many years and. I guess when you're kind of in the depths of darkness, you're looking for that glimmer of light. And for me, it was a goal. It was something that could kind of rip me out. And during my teenage years, when I was experiencing, you know, all of that, all of that, <laughs> that terribleness, um, I could go into the gym and work out, and that was my my little monastery. You know, that was my little, my little sanctum, my special place, and Lifting weights and working out, and getting you know, like making incremental moves towards my overarching goal, was my self healing, my um, my counselling, my my deep work, and so found myself, you know, two months after I left school in this coma, um, and I basically had three centimeter bug um, in a hole to my heart and none of the doctors none of the cardiologists none of the surgeons knew where it originated from so you know there you are far from where your goal is uh and I woke up out of the induced coma and um the whole family were waiting for my stepfather to fly over from Ireland and he came over and he told me the situation and he said you've got this got this bug And it's pretty serious. You know, you had a 33% chance of surviving when you came into the hospital. And the fact that you're alive is a miracle. Um, But now we've got to deal with this situation. So he said, we can go in, have the operation. They're going to cut a chunk of your major organ off. You're going to be on these drugs. Your life's going to be limited in these ways. And you can't do this, can't do this, can't do this. And so, that's pretty pretty far from the aspiration of I can do anything, I can be anything, I can I can achieve anything, uh, to all that limitation, all that you know contraction. So there's another option. There's this thing called this alkaline diet, and my base understanding of nutrition was how to eat steaks and eggs and. Do weights and build muscles um, you know and that, that, that's all I knew about nutrition and he said well there's this thing called the alkaline diet basically juice cleanse getting rid of all the things that the, that the bug needs to sustain itself you know the sugars primarily sugars you know your carbs getting rid of a lot of those things and just doing this juice cleanse and the theory is that you change the ecosystem of what feeds the parasite what feeds the 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 sickness and then the sickness dies out. So rather than cutting it out, you're changing the environment it's in and then you're driving it out. And you know, I believed in him. I believed in my my stepfather was the how I got assimilated into Australia from South Africa. My stepfather was, you know, my introduction to to his parents, you know, my grandparents who ended up raising me for, for most of my life. And so He'd done right by me on so many different occasions. I didn't necessarily trust the process. Either way was risky. Either way was a challenge. Either way, I was not happy about. However, you know, he turned, he gave me, You know, this is what I respect. I think anytime you're making a decision, you want this. You want all of option A, all of option B, all of the information. You don't just want option A and be guided to option A and told that option B doesn't exist. So all of option A, option B, here you go. And then he basically said, you make the call. Your body, your life, it's your destiny. You make the call. And he went to walk out of the room. And then I called him back. I said, Ward, Ward, wait, wait, wait. I said, you know, he said, all right, Carly Boy, because he's used to say, Carly Boy. Carly Boy, I'll, I'll let you think on it, you know. And, and, and as he left, as he was leaving, I said, no, no, wait, wait, wait. He said, look, I trust you. Do you believe this can happen? You know, has it worked before in the past? Yes. All right, let's give this a go. And then I found myself in this kind of this uh, Buddhist army discipline, regimen sort of mission that was lots of uh, routine you know, activities to, to heal the body and give the body the best op- opportunity to fight this bug. So he already had packed beetroot juice handed to me. I had a sip. Instantly regretted it. Um, Did not enjoy the taste. It was not going to be a tasty uh, three weeks. And so I had all the juices, had the vitamins, all the heart, you know. And yeah, I'm not telling anyone what to do with their life. I'm not telling, disclaimer, not saying, uh, disclaimer, just saying, you know, you've got to decide your destiny. So for me, this is my story. This is what happened. We took selenium, CoQ10, ubiquinol, hawthorn berry, lots of uh, heart, vital. Uh, nutrition um, supplements and and foods and basically just juice and salads no oil in the salad no salt no pepper Uh, i had my 19th birthday in the hospital and he gave me a little slice of watermelon so you know it was pretty pretty brutal regimen and then you know we're going along and you do realize like wow i'm seriously going against the grain you know uh, steve jobs talks about this he says everything around you was created by someone no more smarter or not that much more smarter than you and we kind of just think things are there and they're just there and that's the way it's got to be and i think we're entering a time on our planet where we're really questioning the way things are and why they are there and if they could be improved and that's really that quote you know really look at that because it's it's interesting we just kind of accept what is and that's the comfort zone. We accept our partners to treat us like this. We accept that that's their threshold and they can't offer any more. We accept all these different things. But why don't we try and strive for something more, something better? And so that's what I was doing in the hospital, but everyone around me was not happy with it. Um, probably had five core people that were bought into the mission that I was on. So you know, learned that that core group, uh that that were driven and, and, and believed in and bought into what, you know, you wanted to achieve. And then we basically got to the point where we had to work out, all right, how little does the bug have to get to until it's a non issue, until it's no longer a threat to my health. And we asked, we asked, we asked, we pulled teeth and eventually got yep, all right, if it gets under zero point five centimeters meters from three centimeters, it's a non issue. And so that was our target. We had a target, we had we had um, and any sort of goal you have, any sort of thing you're trying to achieve, you need the target, you need a, a measuring stick to see how you're doing. Um, not measuring, hey, I've got this many podcast listeners because uh, look at me, how famous I am, but hey, we're doing something right. The week we made the changes we made, um, they're improving. Our listeners are enjoying it. So for me, that's, that, 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 that was the big, the big thing. Like, okay, we've got a target. There's an endpoint.
0: And um, can I jump in here?
1: You can jump in. yep yeah,
0: 100% Kyle, this is fascinating. Can you just uh, answer a couple of questions for me? I'm really intrigued to understand what were the physical symptoms that you were experiencing bef- like before you went into hospital? like what made you realize something was wrong um, and then tell me about how you got to hospital and you know how you were feeling at that point?
1: Yeah, great question. Uh, so I was coming home from the gym one night, You know, had a, an up-and-go, had a little protein drink at a, at a convenience store and got home. And then I was sitting down and uh, had Independence Day on. So I thought, aliens and, and, and fighter jets, this is what I want to watch. And all of a sudden, it got really, really hot. So I stripped all my clothes off. Um, I was sitting butt naked on the couch. Then a split second later, really really cold and then i just chucked everything on but i i couldn't really change my temperature so that was the first sign that something was up next night went to the fridge to the fridge you know to get some ice and i collapsed like i fell over on the ground and i was aware i was conscious but i couldn't move and then i you know i thought it felt like hours eventually got up and i looked at the clock and it was you know it, it was some time and then there was vomiting and, you know, like, temperature, all that sort of stuff. And I actually went to a doctor very early on, told them what was going on, and they misdiagnosed. Or, well, he said, you've got gastro, here's some tablets, try this, went home, took the tablets, threw it up, and I said to the people that I was with, hey, like, I need to go to the hospital. Like, Like, I know this ain't no gastro. There is something... Big red player. I need to go to the hospital. Um, and then I went to my uncle's down in down in Cronulla. So this was I was in Sydney like Sydney City, and then I went down to Cronulla. And um, he saw me walking down the hallway, and he said, "You've got a virus. Like you've got a you've got an intense virus. Um, you need to go to the hospital uh, or a doctor. And if the doctor doesn't send you to the hospital, you need to take him to the hospital." You, you know. And so then I went to a doctor.
0: Yeah right. How did your uncle realize that you had a virus?
1: So so he was a Cairo and and same as my stepfather, Cairos, but they were really like it's not it, the buck didn't stop at Cairo. They were really into learning everything about the human body, health, um diagnosis. You know, like kinesiology, testing little viral like bottles to see what what's going on in your body. So that very knowledge, he yeah, had a lot of knowledge in that space, and he just he could almost look at me. He just kind of. He kind of knew. And so, um, and at this time, my my peripheral vision went like like a vignette, like everything darkened. And then uh, I went to a doctor, and it was my local doctor in in Cronulla when I was growing up, uh, local GP. And he's this this Chinese man. And he, um, I remember when I was younger, talking about like some of the, the, you know, childhood trauma. He, um, He gave me this book titled Hope. And it had a quote on every page and beautiful landscape. So he was more than a doctor to me. He was, you know, something special. And he basically grabbed my hand and he pointed to the tips of my fingers. And he said, you know, about 12 years ago when I was learning my trade, I spent some time in the hospital. And these red dots signify that you've got an infection on your heart. said, you need to go to the hospital? And then I got in the ambulance, went to the hospital. And then I was down the bottom somewhere and I, was, I uh, told the family, like, hey, I need to go to the toilet. Um, I'm trying to, you know, use the lovely little buckets you get. And I just, I, I, I couldn't uh, do the dirty, dirty. And then um, the, the family got the nurse over and she looked at my paperwork. She said, what the hell are you doing down here? Like, like, you're supposed to be, I don't know what's happened. There's been a mistake. You're supposed to go straight to the ICU. The reason you can't go to the toilet is your organs are shutting down. And then I got rushed to ICU. Um, this guy with this mask on, the surgeon said, hey, mate, we're going to put your pipe down your throat. You're going to go to sleep. And at that point, I was so sick that it's like, yeah, righto, whatever. Let's, let's do it. And put me to sleep. But, and then he told my family, hey, Carl's most likely going to die tonight. If we operate, we might be able to give him a chance. But either way, it's very unlikely he's going to make it. And my family called my stepfather, who was in Ireland at the time, said, what should we do? He said, "Obviously, you guys are there. You need to make the call. I don't have the data. I'm not there. I would just think that maybe he's a bit too weak, and so I made the call not to operate in that moment. And then I woke up out of the coma a week later. And so when I woke up out of the week, you know, a week later, woke up and and I had the uh, had a bowl of wheat bix, vomited straight up on my nightgown, and so you know I knew something wasn't. Yeah, you know, I had that transition of being in the ICU and and getting back to my health, but." Basically, what happened in the long run, at the three-week mark, we got rid of the bug. And according to them, the bug wasn't going away. And the bug was at 0.2 centimeters, so it was no longer an issue. And that was, that was a huge success. I mean, I, I didn't believe, I, I believed in water, I believed in the system. You know, along with all the juice and the vitamins and everything, I was doing visualizations. I was learning about the heart, learning about where the mitral valve is, drawing my fingers over it. Sending commands, saying heal heal uh, I did that in the shower because I was not very comfortable doing that. Coming through school, coming through the sort of indoctrinated you know, upbringing, and and you know, oh, rah rah, like you know, you're just not learned in those things. You know, they're not very manly things or very, you know. So, getting in tune with your body is not 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 on the uh, curriculum at, at, at a private boys' school. So. You know, those sorts of things um, were very foreign to me. Um, I do remember a powerful moment in the hospital where an older guy, and and what happened was because I wasn't going through surgery and everyone was quite upset about that, they put me, instead of moving me into somewhere where I could spend more time, like a more private location, which there were rooms available because I'd walk around, they left me in the day surgery room where people were coming in and then they were going into surgery, coming in, going to surgery, coming in, going going to surgery. I don't have facts to tell you, but I believe it was a psychological ploy. So I, it wasn't a nice environment and there wasn't much effort to make it any nicer. And every day I was questioned as to why I was doing it. So a lot of the things about success, about, you know, like driving, about wanting to create something in the world are drawn from that experience. Every day you're getting told what are you doing, why, who do you think you are, why do you think it's going to work? So, so a lot of those things parallel into business into going out and saying hey i'm a young 28 year old i'm going to write a book you know um or you know oh, who do you think you are you're too young you haven't had enough a life experience So, similar sort of well, it was almost like a training ground and yeah so i had that experience healed the heart naturally and and then whilst i was in the hospital there was a powerful moment where an uh, older man Looked at me and he, he just looked me up and down. And you know, I've got lots of respect for elderly people because of my grandparents and they were some of the, they are angels. They're the, the, the best people I've ever met in my life, you know, and a lot of the things of, you know, traditional principles and values and a strong family and being a strong man and, 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 and community and a lot of those things that, and, and having faith and believing in God that is like hated and, um, labeled and scapegoated in our current world. A lot of those things they had took them through great depressions and multiple world wars and, and all sorts of crises. Um, and so I've got a lot of respect for the traditional way the, you know, yeah, there's things that we need to develop and grow out of and, and create more opportunities for more diversity. And hundred percent, there's a lot that needs to be changed, but there's a lot of, um, you know, strength and, and like, a, like, you know, foundational things that, 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 that generation had. Ingrained, and I think in today's age, I don't think we should be too quick to discard the whole thing and just say you got no idea, you're from a different generation. So I've got a lot of respect for that generation. Having said that, it was an older gentleman who came up to me whilst I was in the hospital and, and looked at me, looked up me up and down, and said, "Oh yeah, I also thought I was invincible um, when I was a young youngster, and then I realised I wasn't." I just remember like being like like kind of shocked. Like I didn't say anything to him, I didn't do anything, but he just kind of felt the need to. Um, to share his crap uh, information. And so for me, I had this inspiration, like this moment where I was like, I am invincible. I'm a spiritual being. I'm an energy force. I'm not just what's physically happening to me right now. I'm much more than that. I don't know where that voice came from. I got no idea what who was, who was kind of in my corner then helping me because I was being knocked down every day. I was knocked down because I was there. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, I had this dream that I was playing rugby for Springboks and, and I had my girlfriend on the sideline and family. And then, and then we we're also going to communities and, and helping like empower and inspire, you know, young kids. I had this dream and I wake up in the middle of the night and i I'm, I'm in a hospital gown, sweat dripping down my back and I'm, I'm in the middle of the night in hospital and I'm so far from that dream. So I just was constantly taking a beating. And then this guy dropped his very contracting belief on me. And for some reason, I had that voice that came like almost like a rebuttal in my mind. And so, so that was, that was a powerful moment. Um, cause you're kind of, you, you're at your nth degree in that sort of, uh, situation.
0: How, how long were you in hospital for all that car?
1: Six weeks. It was six weeks. And at about the three week mark, that's when we, we healed the bug naturally.
0: And what was the feedback or the response from the medical staff when you'd healed it
1: um when i left the hospital um so when we healed it like we we cheered and everything and then the the cardiologist uh person that we had like shouted and then like walked out the room you know and like because he he felt and you know that's fine you know everyone's got their opinions and 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 yes we were taking a risk and we were taking a gamble i'm not going to deny that at all um, but he felt that we were reckless, you know. And so even though we, we succeeded, he was upset about the way that we went about it. And so he, that's the last time that we saw him when he gave us the figures. We were like, yes, we did it, we did it, you know. And he probably wasn't happy seeing us cheer. Um, and, you know, like, so there's a lot of, just to fill in the, the gaps, there, there, my stepfather informed me that there are incentives. And I'm coming out of school very naive, you know, um, every police person is a good person, every fireman, every doctor, every person in certain positions is just good and kind and is there for the right reasons. And he just said to me, Kyle, like I'm going to share with you some information. Now, I'm not saying this at all about any surgeon or this surgeon, this, that this is the reasons. But there are other incentives to do a great job, which is great because that means they will do a superb job and they're phenomenal at the work that they can do. You know, so he said there's, there is a big tax break incentive um, in terms of a reward for doing a successful surgery. There's also in the community, in the medical field, like a big hurrah, you saved a young child's life. There's, and he was just telling me the other reasons for going into surgery. And Ward was just trying to say, you can go into surgery tomorrow. You can have the operation. You can get it done, but you're going to have this metal attachment on your heart, and you're going to have all these things, and your life's going to be impacted. You can't do this. Can't do that. Now, you're going to get pushed into surgery, and realize there are there are, there are multiple reasons for this. And for me, I had no idea of any of that. You know, I had no idea to think in that way or to be skeptical. And so he at least warmed me up to the idea. And then when I was in the hospital. I was shocked at how despised we were, or how we were treated, and because we would send back the hospital food, who the heck does that? You know, we would uh, like, like, you know, there were times where the nurses were actually going into my cupboard and saying, "I'm going to throw these vitamins out. You're not listening to prof. You're not following what we're trying to do," and I was just like, I, I couldn't believe it because I was never in that environment. So I was just, I was probably in a state of shock. And then the moment that we left. I was being pushed out in a wheelchair and, you know, I spent six weeks in the hospital. So I went from 95 kilos pure muscle to 77 kilos, you know. So I lost a lot of weight, a lot of strength. I mean, the juice diet <laughs> gave me a six-pack. So, you know, that was that was one plus. But I, you know, I was uh, leaving the hospital and the um, register, this lovely Somalian man who basically came, you know, in and popped in every now and then I made a good friendship with, he said to me, uh, Look, he grabbed my shoulder for while I was being pu- pushed down in the, in the wheelchair. And I turned around. He said, Carl, um, I just want to um, you know, share something that Prof told me. I said, Oh, man, you know, I'll see you later. It was good. It's you know, like, OK, like, I just need to share something. OK, you know, shoot. And he said, Look, Prof just wants me to let you know that your lungs are going to be full of blood. Um, you're going to choke to death within two months of leaving this hospital. You're going to choke to death in your sleep on your own blood. I was like, OK i just cried i just like tears just dripped down my eyes and so it was just to answer you it was i was just in a state of shock really did not know what we were doing in the grander scheme did not know what reaction you get by going against the grain sorry for the interruption this is ian westmoreland the founder of kintsugi heroes and thank you for listening to this story from one of our amazing heroes Our mission is for these stories to provide hope and inspiration to people experiencing life challenges and to also educate the broader community on how best to provide support. If you would like to help us to continue to produce more hero stories and cover more adversity themes, we would welcome all donations. These can be made via our website, kintsugiheroes.com.au.
0: The donate function is at the bottom of the homepage. We'd also welcome any feedback you can email me direct using ian at
1: kintsugiheroes.com.au. Now let's get back to the story. did not know the beast that we're taking on in that environment. So, and then we went to an, another cardiologist that was referred to by a friend, and we tried to share this information. And I had my family in the room, and we were like saying, like, because my family was also in shock. We are like, we don't know what we did, but we got this sort of reception, you know? I went to stay at Holiday Inn and they treated me like this. You know, that, that, that sort of thing. And so the cardiologist said, Who, who's the guy? We, we dropped the name and he said, I don't want to hear anything about, I don't want to hear anything negative about him. I play, we, I play golf with him on, on, on the weekends, at least twice a month. I don't want to hear anything. And then the family started talking and it just started getting aggressive. And strangely, I made a, like executive call and I said, family, get out of the room. got okay. Like, please just get out of the room right now. And I just sent my family out of the room. And my thing was, I just, we healed the heart naturally. We got rid of the bug, but the bug had eaten part of like the heart and we needed to repair it. And repairing it meant I didn't have all those complications and you got to be on this and that. I had a normal life. Now the repair percentage in hospital was 0%. When I got out of the hospital and I went to this cardiologist instantly, it was at 30%. And so I wanted to get that as high, the number as high as possible, and then consider open heart surgery to repair everything. The whole health program, everything was just to get myself in a position to be ready to go and have the operation, not be, you know, silly about how I went about it. And so I sent everyone out the room and I spoke to the, the prof and I said, Look, that was our experience. He said, Ah, oh, I don't care, I don't hear it. Okay, that's fine. I said, Look, I just wanna get my my heart to a good percentage. You said we've got 30% repair. I want to get it higher and I want to have a repair. Um, I don't want my life to have all these complications for the rest of my life. And so I told him that we did the juice diet, we healed the heart naturally. So when you asked me what was the reception, I told him, and he said, oh, I don't believe it, don't buy it. I went, oh God. Like I was like, okay, whatever. Like I just, I need to find some level where I can get on with you. I think this is a big misconception in our world. I think we're always looking for. Who's on the same page as me exactly? Who believes everything I believe? Who is going to agree with everything I agree with? And sometimes, like to be real, we're not going to get that. You're not going to agree with your own spouse and everything. You know, your business partner. You just need to find little levels where you can connect, and let's take us to the next level. Connect, Take us to the next level. So I needed to find a common ground with him. And he took a liking to me. He, you know, maybe it was because I laughed at his jokes or because he also had like a, a challenging upbringing. And we actually developed a bit of a friendship and a bond. And so I kept going back to him. And, you know, he had his little beast in and he'd send a letter every time. And he's like, I was going back to get the percentage higher and higher. And behind the scenes, I was doing work for my health. And then his thing was, oh, Kyle's just getting his head around the fact that he's got to have the surgery. And, you know, so like he had his reality and I had my reality. As long as the percentages were going higher and higher and the heart was less and less stressed from the bug, then we we're on the same mission. And then I went and had the open heart surgery and then I repaired, repaired the heart. So it was a successful operation in the fact that we repaired it. So that was the reception to answer your question.
0: Um, how old were you when you had the open heart surgery? So what was the time, I guess, between getting out of hospital the first time and then going back in to do the repair surgery?
1: Yeah, so I was quite old for my schooling. So I turned 19, you know, two and a half months out of school. Um, and that's when I was in, you know, when I was first sick. Then a year later is when I had the operation when I was 20. And so, yeah, I was 20, had the operation six months later, went into my Euro trip to finally uh, get out and live.
0: What was the year like between first hospital? stint and then your surgery
1: one hundred percent. what was 100%.
0: life like were you just kind of waiting
1: basically once i got out of the hospital um you know very very weak and all that sort of stuff i was just building my strength up and then by that time it was at about july so it was when like semesters were starting again it was when um you know like you could go and study and things like that so for me um basically my family whilst i was in hospital sh- my cousin came and showed me all these papers of like hey you can go study here you can study there you can do this you can do that and so i looked at um this studying in oriberg in a country town you know i was studying environmental science so so i thought okay i'll do that so i went and i studied environmental science for 6 months so that's that was a nice way of just getting away from everything just putting some distance between me and what, I've, what i'd been through and yeah that's what i did you know but besides that you know That that's pretty much that was six months, and then the first six months was just that that health attack. So yeah, I guess in a way you kind of find yourself on the back foot a few years after school, you know, Um, because I studied in six months of that, but I didn't I didn't go back to the country. Oh, I didn't finish the environmental science degree.
0: What a journey that you were on from the age of eighteen, right? (sighs) Talk about a pivot point of your whole life.
1: (laughs) Yes, and, and and I can say. I would not be on the mission I am now, but that if that buggy never hit my heart, I wouldn't be with the, my, my girlfriend who, who I'm so aligned with. I wouldn't have the maturity. I wouldn't have had the maturity to meet all the great people that I've met in the business world and probably would not, not have written a book by now. So, yeah, uh, the phoenix can rise from the fire.
0: What was the most important thing on that, that, that journey for you um, I guess, coming out of the coma, like what, what saved you, so to speak, what pulled you out of everything? If there was something, right. We often talk about, you know, a faith or a person or whatever. What was it for you?
1: Um, and I love that, you know, because I know behind the podcast and people behind me and the, and the energy and the movement behind me, there's so much faith and so much spiritual um, strength, you know, behind what you guys are creating. And i and, love to contribute that and i'd love to people often ask me like what did you see where'd you go you know and to be honest like it was black (laughs) it was still darkness i didn't see anything during the time of the induced coma and what pulled me out of the coma probably and this is a this is a big point that um i'd love to share is that it takes an army it takes a tribe it takes a unit it takes a, a group to achieve and oftentimes we you know, the the solo life or the solo solopreneur or the solo um, mission, you can do it, you know, you can take the 30 years or you can join forces with other people who are heading in a similar direction and hitchhike with them. You know, and so for me, I just had so much love around me. Like I was very lucky, but I had so many people coming and visiting me in the coma. And so family really rallied around me. A majority of this family I wasn't related to. Originally born in South Africa, and assimilated into this Australian family. So Australia, this Australian family, really took me in, um, and that's what I love about the culture. That's what I love about you know a multicultural society uh, and a society where you can be who you want to be. And you know, and I think that was I think that love was probably what what woke me up. You know, and I kind of woke up, you know, and then I, then I would, you know, I spent another week in in the intensive care unit, and I was. Aware of who came, I don't remember what they said, but I remember seeing my uncle, I remember seeing this person, and I just remember this, um, almost tangible feel of love all around me, just oozing into me. And, you know, whether they were saying, I love you, Carl, we want you to be better, blah, 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 like it didn't matter what the words were. The energy they were shooting to me was that. It was actual genuine care, consideration, and love, and wishing me to get better. So I think that is what pulled me back.
0: That's so beautiful. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you felt that same energy before, or was that the, sort of beyond anything you'd ever experienced in that sort of love sense of that feeling of being loved?
1: That that was pretty powerful. You know, that, I think that's, that that one's hard to beat. Um, and like you said, such a pivotal um, transition moment. I think, you know, another moment was. Probably going and seeing my grandfather when he was passing away, and and he passed away in his in his home, and holding his hand uh, right until the last moments, seeing seeing that, which is such a beautiful moment. Um, You know, like we we kind of don't we don't we don't confront mortality, trying to have our consciousness live on forever. But when you are aware of the spiritual lessons and the spirituality, and so empowering. But anyway, I was there for a week. He. This man had never had pharmaceuticals, never had surgery, never had anything um, medical really challenging his life. And so right when he was 91, found himself in hospital, he something tweaked. Like He was like not enjoying it, not having it, not happy with it. Um it's a very different health, <laughs> my, my my experience. So the family went, all right, we need to get him a hospital bed. We need to put him in his home. If he wants to pass away or if he wants to get better, we need to put him in his home. And there was nothing, the doctors couldn't see anything. There was nothing as to why he was sick. You know, there was no, no but, but he, he started having a struggle with his air. And in his family, so interesting, when they wanted to clock out, they clocked out. His mother, when she was, she broke her hip and then she was in the hospital and then she got better and she was jumping on the hospital bed with her niece and she was all full of life. And the family came in and said, oh, look, you know, Nan will be putting you in a retirement village. Um, you know, like like uh, tomorrow, like when we get you out of here, like my gr- like my grandfather, the Clive's family, like they 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 lifestyle was everything. They didn't want to be in a retirement village. None of them would be dragged into it, and 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 she uh, passed away in her sleep. You know, and there was no cause. There was nothing. But it, and he had an aunt that did the same thing. She just seemed to like she was getting a bit sick, and she was like, "Love you guys. You know, love you all. I'll see you later." And she just like tapped out of life. And so incredible ability. And so he was. You know, he, I think he was ready. Um, and so anyway, we were around him, and I was you know, sleeping like in the lounge room on some pillows um, by his hospital bed, and he'd wake up in the middle of the night and he'd, he'd yell, Guinness, Guinness, Guinness. And he never was a drinker, but, but there's something apparently when, when you're dying or when you're giving birth, I don't know if it's from that era, but the iron in Guinness is what their craving is. So it was really strange, but we had to get, you know, Guinness and give him the Guinness. So I don't know what was, was from, his, from his upbringing or what happened in his life, but, and, you know, we have the sippy cup and, and, and that was my alarm clock. And so there were moments where, you know, we were kind of looking after him and, and you know, all the, the, the toilet care and, like, the, like, you know, like the shower and brushing teeth and all that sort of stuff and, like, you know, kind of overwhelmed and I would, you know, like, would hit me emotionally i'd cry and i'd walk down the hallway and i'd see my auntie walk at me and just kind of do a 360 and go okay yep i'm not going to go down there that's going to be mostly traumatizing and when i left the family all of them they're not necessarily a super huggy family super emotional family but they all squeezed me so tight and all of their kids just were so thankful and grateful and just so just you know that i showed up for their their parents in that way um but their parents showed up for me. They, they raised me pretty much from when I was 14, when I had nowhere to, had nowhere to go, um, had no home, and they, they showed up for me. So I think the commitment to family was another time where I felt that love. And it was interesting, this family that I was not related to, they always said, hey, your family, your family. I never quite really felt that because I had like a bit of a, you know, a, a, a love for my stuff and family and, you know, wanting to go back there and, 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 and little dream that I made up, you know. I could really feel it at that time. So that was another time.
0: It's pretty powerful, Kyle. And, you know, it's almost like you were given a gift, not just the gift of life, but you were given the gift of a family and you were shown through that experience that you actually are loved. Yeah. And you do have a family. Yeah. And that's a really, really beautiful moment to experience and even people that have a biological family many people don't ever feel that loved or mm. that supported mm. and yet you got that in mm. in bucket loads in droves in this you know magnified moment or through that whole process really didn't you
1: yeah and in terms of the faith question or or, or something deeper there when i came to australia i was three and a half and my my, my my mother met my stepfather and um, you know he, he brought us over and um, he he wanted me out of South Africa because it was it was right around when um, Mandela got into power, which was great for the country, but it was very dangerous. It was very um there was a lot of uproar and violence in the streets and it was it was a very and he was like, wait a minute, like this kid shouldn't be growing up in that country. Like come to Australia and have a better life and so he brought me over and he really liked loved me as like his son, you know, he really had that connection. And when I was walking up the stairs of his parents' home, I and Dinah, he's, you know, he's you know, the, the, his, my step-grandparents that became like my parents. Uh, I was walking up the stairs and my grandmother will still tell the story to this day, you know, she saw me coming up the stairs. And, um, but what actually happened was that she had this kind of shooting feeling sensation through her body and this kind of message from God that she was going to be important in my life. And she can, you know, she's uh, in, into her nineties and she can re- relate that story. And at the age of 14, I she had nowhere to go. And at that pivotal moment of my life where I was out on the street, like I could have gone down a very dark path, you know, like who knows? Like I could my, my destiny could have been totally different. Like I knocked on their door in the middle of the night and, and, um, they let me in, you know, they, they opened up their door, their arms, their heart and their family, you know, uh, And they were just special people. I think they had over 150 different families stay at their house, whether it's exchange students from the US, exchange like organizations from, um, middle of Australia, Aboriginal, you know, kids coming in to kind of study in like in the city, whatever it was, you know, like they, they just opened up and I, and I've never seen anything like them, never, never seen anything like it. And that family thing, it's such an important point and such an important thing to have strong. Uh, if you want to go anywhere in this life, if you want to achieve anything, if you want to, if you want to make it through. Um, and I think it's something that isn't regarded in, in today's day as much.
0: I'm not going to say that you're lucky, Kyle. I'm going to say you're blessed. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it, however people want to take that, it's, it's up to them. But it's, and it's a non denominational uh, term that I'm using, really, to, to say, in a universal level, you are blessed to have had that family have that family and to have had this journey so that that's really special
1: yep and the the beautiful thing about being blessed or having the opportunity is that you know i think i generally do believe most people are good i think um they get fuddled along the way and i got fuddled along the way and i and i wasn't good at times or i wasn't being a good expression or good contributing member of society and you have something painful happen to you then you want to go and cause pain and and, you know so i get a lot of that and then I think the beautiful thing about being blessed or having that opportunity is that you now, I now look at it and go, okay, who doesn't have a diner and client? You know, who didn't have that opportunity? Like, who can I help? And that was the big driver behind the book was like, what can I share that helped me through? You know, basically at days of 14, not wanting to be on this planet anymore, you know, like, like serious things that, 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 that serious like assaults or attacks. What, what made me, th- what got me through that? And, and, how what things did my grandparents teach me and what did i learn from them and and so that's really why i wrote the book and why i want to kind of do more work extended from the book because not everyone gets the opportunity like you said
0: mm. that's it yeah these these pivotal moments in life they shape who we are and who we become and it's beautiful to see how you've taken the the gifts and the lessons from that period of your life and you're now living a life as a result of that which is really inspiring
1: thank you thank you and so you guys with what you're doing i think it's the the contribution element uh no matter where you get in life like the need to contribute is something so deep within us and you know it's just such a drive and i think that's really where people struggle with business career uh happiness fulfillment it's it's that that where am i contributing where am i Mm. where am i Am I extracting enough? Am I learning enough? Am I training myself enough? Am I upgrading myself enough to be able to contribute at an, at higher levels? And that's a a big thing to work on.
0: Mm, indeed, Kyle, coming to an end, and I've got a final question for you. If there's anybody listening to this conversation who can relate to anything that you're talking about, whether it's having a medical issue and fighting a system, or the, you know, even the family support in a, in a dire circumstance. What would you like to say to them now as a as a final comment to, to someone?
1: I'd say find people in your life that will call your bullshit out. And that's people that are gonna call the bullshit out in and around you, gonna see transparently, you know, what's going on, where the covert people and operators are, and the effect they're having on you. And also, going to call your own bullshit out and say, hey, you're creating this. You being a victim, you swirling in your own inner dialogue and mess and not confronting and not writing out what's going on in your life and your situation, you're creating this. And we can just have people in our lives that will call that out. And I'm very grateful to have people in my life that will say, hey, you know, you've got more in you. You're better than this. You, you know, you can be better. Um, I expect more from you. You know, we was so worried about that expectation piece, but hey, you've shown me that there's potential. I expect to see that potential. I think that is a is a big part.
0: It's great advice, great words. There's a lot to take in there. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you so much for being here, for sharing your story and just for being you, for showing up and bringing your gifts to the world.
1: But thank you so much for having me and, and creating this you know, you're creating the space, you're holding the space for these conversations and that's important on this planet.
0: Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Kintsugi Heroes. Please like and share the show to your friends so we can get this out to even more people. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, please reach out using the contact details below and join us next week for our next Heroes story. Until then, keep being you and remember that we are all heroes in our own unique way.